Paul gives two different analogies when he's talking about the final coming of Christ. First is the analogy of the thief in the night, and second is the analogy of labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. And I think these kind of play off of each other to show different aspects, clear aspects of the final coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. The first, the thief coming in the night, shows that this is something that happens completely unexpectedly. Unless you live in very certain parts of certain cities at certain times in history, it would be rather odd to expect someone to break in at night. You know it's a distant possibility in your head. That's why you, maybe you have security cameras or a security system or lock your doors and windows at different times in history at different places that maybe you've lived. You didn't even need to lock your doors or windows because it was such a distant possibility. But overall, through most of history and most times and places, it seems to be a very odd and unexpected thing that someone would break in at night. A possibility, but distant. So completely unexpected. The other thing about the thief in the night that it shows is that it happens when people feel secure. When you lock your doors and your windows and you have the security cameras, it seems like something that is not only unlikely, but something that you feel secure and safe about. As Paul says, it is when they say peace and safety that sudden destruction comes upon them. And then playing off of that is the other analogy he gives, which is the labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. Now, that is something that is also, in a sense, unexpected. But at least with that one, you have about a four week window between 38 and 42 weeks of the pregnancy that you can expect this is going to happen. But the thing about the pregnant woman and the labor pains is that it is certainly going to happen. Whether it's by C-section or naturally, whether it's a home birth or a hospital birth, it's something that's going to come about. There's no doubt that it's going to happen. The baby must come out of the womb one way or another. And so these things play off each other. On one hand, it's something that happens unexpectedly when people feel secure about themselves. On the other hand, it's something that is certainly going to happen in your life at some point. And what do these things show us? That we need to be ready. It's going to be the main point that Paul is driving towards. Now these analogies... I like them because they are so clear and so plain of concepts that can guide our thinking about the final coming of Jesus. This is the last Sunday in the church year. This is the Sunday we devote to thinking about the final coming of Jesus. And a lot of ink over the centuries in the Christian church has been spilled over this topic. People like to think about this. They like to think about the end of the world. A lot of science fiction in the world is about the end of the world. A lot of TV shows are about the end of the world. A lot of news is about the end of the world. 
People like to think about the end of the world. People want to do Revelation Bible studies. They don't want to do Mark or Romans Bible studies, even though I like those books better, but that's fine. People like Revelation. Right? This is what people think about. But when it comes to thinking about this, which is good to think about, the final coming of Jesus, we should think about it clearly. And as Lutheran Christians, we have a couple of basic principles to help guide us in this thinking. First is that scripture rules. We're scripture alone Christians. And scripture also interprets scripture. So we take the clearer, more plain, more simple to understand concepts like these in 1 Thessalonians 5 and use those to help us interpret maybe the more complex and maybe the slightly less clear to us passages, say, in the book of Revelation. We take things like Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten virgins with the lamps, with the oil of faith, or 1 Thessalonians 5 with the thief in the night and the labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. We take these clearer principles to help us interpret what the final coming means for you. Okay, so back to these principles that we've discussed. If Jesus is coming unexpectedly to judge the living and the dead, you can read the broader scope of Matthew 25 for that. If he's coming to judge the living and the dead and to separate the sheep and the goats, and he is coming for certain as a woman who's having a baby, and he is coming when people think themselves safe, even when they're not. We have one main job in relationship to the final coming of Jesus. Watch and be sober, Paul says. Watch and be sober. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, we'll get to what that task, that job, includes. But I think it is also helpful to think about what that job precludes, what it sets aside, what is not important in thinking about the final coming of Jesus. Now, what a lot of people do when they want to spill ink over this final coming of Jesus is they think about things that don't matter so much. And so let's talk about what the job of Christians is not. The job of Christians in thinking about the final coming of Jesus is not to determine what time Jesus is coming back again. In fact, we're told not to. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians says, in five, chapter 5 says, Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. You don't need to determine what time or what season Jesus is coming back again. The scriptures teach that Jesus himself, the Son, does not even know the day or the hour, only the Father. And so I don't care what war is going on in what part of the world. I don't care what plague has come upon the earth. I don't care what stories are in the news channels about whatever currency is the new currency. 
I don't care what is on social media being posted about climate change and the end of the world. At the end of the day, it is not your job to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's the next day. Maybe it's five years from now, ten years from now, a thousand years from now. I don't know, but it's not my job to know. It is God's job to send his son at the right time, just like he did in the first advent he will do when he comes again. Now, as a caveat, it is okay to say this, Jesus is coming soon. Revelation 22, Jesus himself says this, I am coming soon to judge. And that is a hopeful statement for us. It is hopeful, as we'll talk about a little bit later, because the day of Jesus coming back again is a time of hope and a time of joy for the faithful Christian. And we seek the day of his vengeance. We long for the day of reconciliation. But that day is his to come. And a thousand years is as a day in the sight of the Lord and a day as a thousand years to the Lord. And so maybe his definition of soon is a little bit different than your definition of soon. That's okay. He's God. You're not. It's his job. In that same vein, it is not the job of Christians to dissect world history using the complexities of the book of Revelation, which is a great book, by the way. But using the complexities of the book of Revelation in an attempt to figure out different dispensations of time or blocks of time, wherein all these metaphorical details of Revelation overrule the basic understanding of Matthew 25 and 1 Thessalonians 5, and an attempt to kind of figure out exactly what's going to happen in what place in history, at what time, in what war, and kind of match up the details in the book of Revelation. Now that might sound kind of obscure, but you've probably actually heard people attempt this. If you want your 10-cent word for the day, this is called premillennial dispensationalism. And it is actually a rather popular, this is the only reason I bring it up, it's a rather popular way to interpret the end times in the Christian church today, especially in certain aspects of the Protestant Christian church today. And not only is it plain wrong according to scripture, especially when you get down into the details of it, and when you let scripture interpret scripture, but I think one of the kind of more spiritual problems with it is that it is distracting. It distracts us from that main job that we have in relationship to the end times. Our job is not to kind of figure out some special key, some special knowledge to the book of Revelation. Our job is, as Paul says, to watch and to be sober. And so finally, it is also, along that same vein, not the job of Christians to look around at other groups of people whether it's ethnic Jews with dispensational theology or whether it's wicked unbelievers in the world or whether it's other Christian denominations and sit there and try and figure out 
when Jesus comes back again, what's going to happen to all these different groups of people? Or to even look at our individual neighbors and think, well, I know what's going to happen to him or I know what's going to happen to her. It's not our job to be and to put ourselves in the place of the final judge. That job is for Jesus alone. It is the job of the shepherd, according to Matthew 25, to separate the sheep and the goats. It is not our job to figure out who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. That is the job of the judge. We are the sheep. We are to watch, to listen to our shepherd, and to be sober. And so that brings us back to this job. And what does this job mean? Well, I think it is helpful to note that Paul here is insistent that he is talking to the Christian church. Over and over again, he says, brethren. In other words, brothers in the faith. Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. And so this day should not overtake you as a thief, for you are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the darkness. He is talking to Christians. We are not appointed to the day of the wrath, but to obtain salvation from the Lord. He's talking to those in church. And actually, if you go and you look at really most of the New Testament, it is rather interesting. Very rarely are there warnings given to straight-up unbelievers. Now, part of that is just the nature of the Bible, that the Bible is written for Christians, and so it's mostly directed to Christians. But especially when you look at the passages about hell and the weeping of gnashing of teeth and the lake of fire and these other passages, and when you look about the final coming of Jesus in the Bible, most of the warnings given are warnings given to those in church. That there is going to be tares or weeds that grow up with the wheat. That there are going to be goats mixed in among the sheep that need to be separated. That there are going to be virgins that are in the church, but there are going to be wise ones and foolish ones. In other words, within the church, with those who claim to be Christian and claim to have faith, there will be those who are either now at danger of falling away of becoming lukewarm. Or there are those who have already fallen away and are what we'd call hypocrites, who act like Christians on the outside but have no real faith on the inside. And so the warning here to watch and to be sober, or the encouragement to watch and to be sober, it is a warning that it is possible that we could lose what we have and that there might be those among us who have already lost it. It doesn't have to deal really with the unbelievers. I mean, what is going to happen to the unbelievers is almost blatantly obvious in Scripture. I mean, God is a just God. The unbelievers will be judged as wicked. But watch and be sober. Even if you're in these pews, watch and be sober. 
Remember what Paul said about the thief coming in the night. It's when they shout, oh, peace and safety, that then sudden destruction comes upon them and there is not an escape. And so how do we avoid temptations? How do we watch and be sober? Well, luckily, as clear as Paul is clear about the final coming of Jesus, Paul is also clear here about what to do to watch and be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. Continue to trust, that is, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again for your justification. Continue to have faith in him. Continue to rely on him for all things, the only thing needful. Believe in him. Trust in him. And also love him. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And this trust and this love, this gospel and this law, we could say, that's our breastplate, Paul says. It's our bulletproof vest for the darts of the devil. This is the basics of the faith. Don't give up on the basics. And then also put the hope of salvation on as a helmet. Don't lose focus, in other words, on the finish line in the race, the good race of faith. Remember the second analogy from earlier that this will certainly happen. There is a day coming when Christ will come back again. And for those who have already passed on, remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it will be as a twinkling of the eye. Remember what Jesus says in Revelation 22, it is coming soon. So don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. The finish line is near. We are in the end times now. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of his Father. He is waiting for the orders to come back again and judge the living and the dead. And we pray this every day. Deliver us from evil. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. And so we put on our breastplate and we put on our helmet. And finally... Wearing that armor of God, together united in this church, Paul encourages the Thessalonians, and I encourage you today, comfort and edify one another, just as you are doing. Watching and being sober precludes lots of activities that Christians are tempted to engage in in relation to the final coming, but it does not preclude this that we help each other be better Christians. We encourage one another in the faith. We encourage one another in faith and in love. We comfort one another, point each other back to the cross of Christ, back to the hope of our salvation. And we continue to remind each other that Jesus is coming back again soon and to not lose hope. We continue to share and study the word together. And so, dear saints, watch and be sober. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night and like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Don't get distracted. Focus on what's clear. 
and plain in Scripture. Repent and believe in the gospel. Love God and love one another. For you have been appointed to this, to the salvation you have in our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that we might live with him. And so don't fall asleep on the promise, but be who you are in him. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.